Welcome to Nutrition Unmeasured, a podcast for dietitians, students, but also parents, caregivers, and everyone in between looking for non-restrictive, body-inclusive ways to be nourished and live well. Hosted by me, Gina Forster, an anti-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor from Columbus, Ohio. Go box. For years as a dietitian, I focused on methods of weight loss and management for myself and those I worked with until I finally realized I was doing it all wrong. I started this podcast to give listeners a better understanding of intuitive eating and health at every size with interviews, recipes, nutrition, self-care, and so much more sprinkled in between. Before diving in, I want you to know you can still find episodes of my previous podcast listed here or on my website, which I co-hosted with dietitian Nicole Morrissey called Dietitian's Dish. I left these episodes because they're good and we're proud of them. Many of these episodes talk about intuitive eating, health at every size, self-care, body acceptance. So please scroll through if you're interested. But I want to make it clear I started the podcast at a time when I was still struggling with the belief that wellness and health had a certain look and that restriction and moderation were at least somewhat best. I just want you to be aware of this as you go back to listen. A lot of my thoughts, beliefs, and opinions on a variety of things have changed since then. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. Welcome back to the Nutrition Unmeasured podcast. Today, I am interviewing Christina Bruce. Christina Bruce was actually on my podcast back when I did it with Nicole Morrissey, back when it was the Dietitian's Dish podcast. She was actually on there a couple times. But today, I'm talking to Christina about body acceptance and how to accept your body in a society that doesn't accept your body. Uh, And before we get into that, a quick note of the sponsor for today's episode. It is my Etsy shop. You can check that Etsy shop out to find fun decals for your water bottles or your computer or anywhere you like to put decals. Uh, I've also got mugs, journals, candles, any way that you can really declare your distaste for diets and diet culture and your acceptance and appreciation for your body. Uh, You can find that uh, in the link in the show notes. And before getting started today, I'd also love to ask for a review. If you're loving this podcast, reviews only take a few seconds and really help me grow the listenership. And of course, I would appreciate it. All right. Updates since last time. I'm actually recording this the day after I get back from Spain or the day after I, I actually got back from Spain. I was awake for about 24 hours yesterday. I will say I had actually never been to Europe before. I think I mentioned that before. I've been out of the country, but never Uh, to Europe. And oh my gosh, I will say it was worth it. But I'm going to just make a note here about traveling, the flying, the customs, the, you know, the different legs of the trip, exhausting. Uh, So we actually were just in northern Spain, my mom and I, it was really, really fun. We started off in Barcelona, then we traveled to Pamplona and Bilbao, San Sebastian. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, But the traveling there, to get there actually wasn't so bad. But getting back, oh my gosh, it was exhausting. Again, I was up for about 22 hours, I think. Strangely enough, we weren't tired, I think, because we were just sitting all day and like sleeping off and on in the plane. That was exhausting in itself, but just in a weird way where you're not exerting any energy, but yet eating all the delicious food. And I said delicious, yes, that they served on the plane. I know that sounds so odd, uh, but it was really good. Uh, but but Spain, let's, let's talk about that real quick. If you haven't been, I, of course, I'm going to highly suggest it. The best part about Spain, however, was their body acceptance. Um, I've never been in a country where, you know, people accept their body as much as they did in Spain. Uh, We went to some beaches, which weren't nude beaches, but there happened to be some people who were. And it's just like they don't even care. They don't care. They have no, no care in the world other than to breathe the beautiful air, eat the marvelous food, work, um, enjoy life, socialize. And they don't think about, at least from what I saw in my 10 days there, they're not dieting. They're just living life and appreciating all that the land and that, um, that, you know, the country has for them to to enjoy. I mean, it was just 
even my mom said she felt more body positive just being there. And I told her to try to bottle it up and bring it back here. But then we get inundated with all these diet culture messages here in America. I just did not see that in Spain. And I don't speak the language, so maybe it was there, but I really don't think it was. Even the marketing that they had for fitness programs, it was just all body shapes and sizes. And it didn't, it was just like nothing, you know, body shape wasn't even a thing, a topic of interest. It uh, it was just refreshing, I, that's all I have to say. And, you know, they eat all day long. I mean, quite literally, they eat all day long. Our meals were about two hours long. Um, but then they walk in between and they're outside and they're socializing and then they eat again. And it's just no intermittent fasting there by any means. I mean, if, I think I brought that up a couple of times because we talked to some locals and they were like, what in the world are you talking about? And I'm just like, oh, this is just amazing. I, Yeah. So I, I think I had to bottle up it up a little bit, too, and bring it back here because I'm going to start using some of the things that I learned just being in Spain with my clients that I work with. It's like, wow, just enjoying food and just thinking about satisfaction and not thinking about anything else and thinking about what your body feels like in that particular day and what sounds good. And oh, okay, I, I could go on forever. But anyway, we went to, yeah, again, Barcelona, pa- Pamplona, Pamplona, I think I said it wrong before, uh, Bilbao, which is where the Guggenheim Museum was, which was amazing. And San Sebastian, which is where I, for the first time in a really long time, swam in the ocean, which was actually the Concha Bay. Uh, So it was part of the Atlantic Ocean, but it was a bay that came into San Sebastian where there were giant waves and they said no sharks. So that's my fear. Sharks. I'm seriously afraid of sharks since I watched Jaws as a kid. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, I still have that fear in the back of my mind. But they said that there were no sharks. So I swam probably out, you know, 500 feet and then came back and played in the waves like I was a little kid again. And it was just so much fun. Okay, but back to our previously scheduled program. (laughs) So as I said, today I'm talking with body acceptance coach Christina Bruce about thin privilege and coaching in this space when you have thin privilege but also tips and tools for moving towards body acceptance and body respect, especially when living in a society that you may not feel respects and accepts your body. So as a body acceptance coach, Christina Bruce specializes in working with women who are tired of dieting and trying to, quote unquote, fix their bodies, but who struggle with the fears that come with the idea of letting go, quote unquote. As a certified change coach, she uses her training as well as education and health studies sociology, yoga, meditation, and self-inquiry methodologies to help clients reconnect to their inner wisdom so they can live healthy and fulfilling lives in the bodies they have. I'm so excited for today's interview with Christina. All right, we've got Christina Bruce uh, here today. I'm so excited to have her back. Christina, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Gina. So if anyone didn't listen to uh, the last, I think, you were just on the podcast uh, one time, uh, but if if anyone would like to listen to that episode, I will be sure to put it in the show notes. But we're we're going to go ahead and still start with some icebreaker questions, just to kind of get us loose and ready to chat. So, Christina, what is your favorite food of all time? You know, it's like so stereotypical, but it's pizza. Just freaking love pizza. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to say the last person I interviewed said the exact same thing. Uh, Because, I mean, pizza is so good. It's so good. It's so versatile. Like, yeah, you can make it sweet. You can make it savory. Like, it's just, it's to me the best food. Okay. So you like thick or thin crust? I'm a thin crust. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Yeah, where where I'm from, it's like, I would say most of our pizza is like the thin cracker crust. And I'm just, that's my favorite for Mm -hmm. sure. All right. Best vacation that you've ever had or place that you've visited? Oh, um, Ireland. Oh, I I had a bit of an obsession with Ireland for a while. And I've been like, I think five times. But it was the first time I went that it was just like the best vacation. Oh, that sounds so I would love to go to Ireland. I am jealous of your Ireland trip. <laughs> it's One day. It. It's worth it. <laughs> it's a bucket list for sure. All right. Great. 
So as I already said at the beginning of this uh, interview, you were on the podcast back when it was Dietitian's Dish. And like I said, we're going to go ahead and link that in the show notes. But can you tell listeners just more about your background and what you do? So, um, okay, the long and short of it is then I struggled a lot growing up with just feeling like my I wasn't good enough because I wasn't in a thin body. I was always in like an average size body, but not a thin body. And of course, um, a lot of messaging from my family and the culture that as we still get today, that thin is best and you're better if you're thin. Um, So although that didn't really, it it didn't affect me too much. Like in my teen years, it really kind of kicked up more when I was in my 20s. But at the same time, I was really getting into, I'd always had an interest in health and wellness. Um, You know, one of my degrees is in health studies and so I became a yoga teacher. It was really um, into just always curious about personal development, spirituality, spiritual development. And so really have always kind of thrown myself into that. And uh, But at the same time, I was really focused on keeping a thin body. And it just got to a point when I got older and really I met my um, now husband and we moved in together. And I really got to see um, how difficult it was for me to have a relationship where I actually spent time with him and we enjoyed meals together and still keep my thin body, which had for me required so much time, effort, focus, micromanagement of food, you know, exercise, like it really consumed my entire life and it was making me miserable. And I I didn't really know it until I had that contrast of being with my boyfriend who it was like, do I want to exercise or do I want to spend time with him? Do I want to freak out about my dinner or do I want to relax and have a meal with him? So where I didn't control it so hard. Um, So I got to a point where I really reached a breaking point and just decided to stop trying to suppress my body size. And so I went on a real healing journey with that. And it was, it was hard. Like it's, it's not a, it was not an easy thing to do. Uh, But I'm very grateful that I did it because essentially what I'd been really working on was uncoupling this idea that my worth and my value was linked to my body size and how I looked. So when those are tied, it's just really difficult to ever be able to relax or listen to my true desires. So whether that was a desire to eat a certain food that I knew would affect my weight, I couldn't do that if I was controlling my body. Um, so it just really, I and, and while I was doing that, of course, like I was saying, I was really interested in personal development, spiritual development, So I became certified as a life coach during that time as well. And um, through all of that, I knew that I wanted to be able to work with and help other people who really struggled to be able to relax or feel that their worth and value, um, you know, when they feel like it's so attached to their body size. So I work now with people as a body acceptance coach where I just really want to be able to help people see that they can live more freely and connect to a deeper part of themselves that that is that no like is, is fundamentally worthy, loved, valued, no matter what their body size, and that living from this place is actually where you connect to the deepest part of yourself, and so then therefore you're getting information and guidance on how to feel your like your best self, the healthiest. Um, you're connected to your intuition, to your deepest desires. You're essentially just living a life that's very authentic to you. So that's what I work with people to help them do now. So your own life history really brought you to doing what you are doing currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I feel like I feel like that's what a lot of people can say. I mean, I can certainly relate to that too. My own history really got me to where I am today. And that makes me even more motivated to help people change, you know, just knowing that it helped me. And uh, so that's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm here. 
I know what the other side looks like. Uh, so I want to help others see the other side as well. Uh, so I'm, I love that. Okay. So, you know, today I really want to talk about, you know, body respect and body acceptance, particularly how we are coaching people to respect and accept their body in a society that doesn't always respect or accept their body back. Uh, I think in order to understand the whole story, it's a really good idea to just get familiar first with thin privilege. And this is something that I've talked about with others on this podcast in the past. But Christina, how do you define thin privilege? I would just say that it's it's like a set of assumptions that's broadly held within the culture about thinness. So if... there's a a lot of ideas that really can boil it down to as thin is good, fat is bad. So if you've always grown up in a body size that has been considered conventionally accepted or thin, then you're, you're just not privy to the way that people who are in larger bodies get treated. You're just shielded from it. You know, you don't experience it. And I think I think that's just the way that it is of how it goes with a lot of experiences. Like there's just some experiences we'll never know of other people because they are just have different characteristics or qualities than than we do. And so the same then would go for thin privilege is that people are more likely to automatically, based on the common held beliefs in our culture, they're more likely to assume better things about somebody if they're in a thin body about their character, about their behaviors, about their health, um, than they would of somebody who's in a larger body. Yeah. So not even just, you know, people on the street, but unfortunately also, you know, doctors, nurses, dietitians uh, have that same stigma uh, that can really get in the way of appropriate healthcare when it comes to those in larger bodies. So I think that was a good way to describe it. And, you know, you mentioned that you have never necessarily been, quote unquote, thin, but would you agree that you do have thin privilege, Christina? I mean, I would say it like, I suppose to a degree, yes. And it's all, it's kind of relative. It just, on a spectrum, like, I don't think, I could say that it's probably likely somebody wouldn't say that I was fat. Mm -hmm. They might though say, I'm like a small fat now, you know, like if we want to put it on a scale. Um, but yeah, I mean, sure. Like there's, I I would be in a size that most people would consider acceptable. I haven't yeah. like reached a threshold of where on the whole, more people would say, oh, well, that's just unacceptable. So yeah, to that degree, yes. Like I'm not getting, you know, strangers commenting on my food that I put in my, my shopping cart in, in the grocery store. Whereas, you know, people who are in larger bodies, some people have experienced that. So, yes, like I'm shielded from that by being in my body size for sure. Yeah. So I I asked that because I it kind of brings me to the next question. I feel like we are two coaches in this area of work. I'm focusing more on uh, body respect and intuitive eating specifically. And you work more with body acceptance and body respect. And we're two coaches who do have thin privilege. And so what is our responsibility when working with clients who have larger bodies? You know, without the lived experiences ourselves, how can we do this work effectively and how can we be there fully for our clients? The way that I see it is it it doesn't really change how I work with somebody based on the work that the particular work that I do. But the difference is, is that I'm only ever going to know what somebody's experience is as if they share that with me. So I have to be open to to listening to that and hearing it from them. So like I I can't make assumptions of what they've experienced or what they've been through. So I just listen very openly to, you know, what their experience is and it was really helpful for me when I started in this work to hear from a lot of people um, in larger bodies, their experiences and a lot of the way that, you know, there's the weight-based paradigm of the medical system operates, the way that people are 
treated and discriminated against in that realm, like just really open to listening and learning more um, helps me to have a better understanding of what they would be, of what somebody could be experiencing. And to me, that's just the only way I would know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nodding my head. I, I agree. And this is something that for the longest time, especially when I was part of the problem where I was very weight centric and focused on helping my clients lose weight and get quote unquote healthier because of it. Like I didn't do much listening. I just did a lot of talking and giving advice. And I probably missed so many important things that I could have that could have helped me empathize and be a better dietitian to many of the clients that I worked with. I, yeah, listening is, just goes back to that whole motivational interviewing. I just, how much more I, I relate to that as a, as a coach and counselor and dietitian now than I did my previous way of just telling people what to do, because that listening is just so, so important. Um, And I might add to that too, which I'm sure you do this too. Just, there's so many great books out there and podcasts that for me has been, I mean, I never really understood what thin privilege was. I didn't understand that I had it. I didn't understand why it was. I didn't even understand what the meaning of the term thin privilege meant. In fact, for the longest time, I would not the longest time, but when I first heard it, I was thinking like that is odd. I don't ever feel privileged to have this body. In fact, sometimes people tell me I need to go eat something and I don't feel that that's a privilege, but it's so different than that. And now that I've listened to people and heard their experiences and and done the reading, I can still read more. There's always more to read. Uh, it's just so, it makes me a better uh, provider, especially in this space where I'm working with people who often, but not always have larger bodies and are trying to learn to respect their bodies. Um, yeah, podcasts and books were were huge sources of information for me when when I first started and I think in your position it 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 would have been really hard for you to be open to listening because of the way that you were educated where you were just told this is how it is like fat bad thing good. <laughs> It's it's really such a binary. So and then you are told, well, no, this is this is exactly what you have to do. You have to get people to lose weight. You have to put yeah. them on diets. And when it's like that's all that you know, and when you are taught and believe that that's the truth, you think that that's the only way to do it. And so you're like, oh, well, they're just you know giving excuses or whatever it might be, and you're still going to push what you've been taught until we can. Be, you know, be open enough, especially I can imagine for you um, in how you were, again, educated, be open enough to, huh, like is maybe what I learned not entirely true? And I think that's a bigger, that that takes more of an open-mindedness to question what you were educated with um, in your profession. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, I, You're exactly right. I mean, what I learned, it was so weight-centric. All of my classes were incredibly weight-centric. And, but also, even if I had known that then, it really still took me, I think, experiencing being that type of dietitian for a while to see why it was a problem. You know, working with clients to lose weight, seeing them be quote-unquote successful, and then in the long run, it never was. For me, having that experience, even though I wish that I, I, in many ways, I wish that I didn't have that experience. It was also good because I see the problem in it. I see that it doesn't work. But, you know, going back to what you said, I, I taught a class last semester. Uh, it was just a general nutrition class. But it wasn't even for dietetics majors. It was for dietetics majors, nutrition majors, and then like anyone in between who just needs another elective. And just, I mean, it, weight came up in almost every topic we discussed. I mean, we could talk about supplements, I mean, for a topic and somehow weight would come up. We would talk about um, GERD or, uh, you know, gastric reflux for a, a day and somehow weight would always come up. So, I mean, I that was the first thing I did was go through and make it more inclusive uh, of all bodies. And I, and I just, gosh, hope that 
that that weight, again, weight centric focus in not only dietetics, but nutrition, med school, all of it is eventually changed and people start to realize the, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're helping to do it, right? Like yeah, it started, I hope. It has to start with somebody. Um, and it's just so it's so pronounced. And like you said, having the experience of seeing that it doesn't work is I, I think it's necessary because if it worked, mm-hmm. well, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. It's like we're having the conversation because it doesn't work. And right. we see the negative ramifications that come from following that. So it's like, I wouldn't be having the the where I am if I didn't experience firsthand what trying to suppress my weight and keeping it suppressed took away from me. You know, if I didn't see how it negatively impacted me, I wouldn't be doing this work. Otherwise, if it was the solution to happiness and health and everything that we're sold that it is, I would still be doing it. But I'm not because it wasn't working. So it's funny now sometimes when I'll do, say, a post on Instagram, it doesn't happen so much anymore. But if somebody would comment and try to, you know, say, oh, but you got to lose weight because of this or whatever. I'm sitting here thinking like, do, do they, do they think I live under a rock and I, I like never heard that, like this side of things. <laughs> so it's, right. like, it's like, they're not enlightening you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like all we need to do is just look around ourselves and we're getting that message. It's like, yes, I know. Been there, done that. And that's why I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Cause it doesn't work. It's not helping. And in in my experience and the experience of my clients, it's just, it's making things so much worse. Yep. Yep. All right. So that brings me to body acceptance and really your focus and your work. And, you know, when people think of body acceptance, they often have this vision of giving up on their body or, you know, essentially throwing in the towel. But what is body acceptance and how do you know you've achieved it? That's kind of a big question. But <laughs> are there certain signs that indicate that you could benefit from coaching in this area of body acceptance? Okay. I feel like those were three questions I know. and I want to be trying to par- parse them apart because they are they are big ones. Um Okay, wait, say the so first part again. What is body acceptance? We'll start with that one. Acceptance. Okay, okay. So body acceptance to me means that you're living your life no longer making decisions and focus on trying to manipulate or control your body in order to be happy. <laughs> right. That's kind of how I would describe it. So that being said, then a lot of people would think, well, if I wasn't doing that, that's when the whole concept of let, quote unquote, letting yourself go comes in. Yeah. Like, so what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit on the couch all day and watch Netflix and eat chips. <laughs> and <laughs> I always say like to that kind of comment and thinking is that reaction to the mind coming up and saying that that's what your future would look like is usually only coming from a mind that has been so in control and restricting um, food and manipulating body size because it's the response of the pendu- a pendulum being pulled so far to one side that when you let it go, it's going to swing all the way over to the other side. Yeah. But if you were living more in a natural balance point, meaning you're doing some activity, you're doing some rest, it's it's all kind of feeling and flow and neutral, that's not the image that your mind would conjure up because mm-hmm. you have experience to know that, well, actually, no, I don't just sit around and you know, watch Netflix and binge on food because that doesn't feel good to me. And when we're coming from a place of accepting our body, we really open up now to the possibility of, well, if it's not about controlling and manipulating my body anymore, what is it about? Like, what is the whole purpose? And our innate desire is always to feel good. Yeah. Anything we do in our life is always in some way 
so that we can try to feel better within ourselves. So if you were to all of a sudden just let go and be on the couch and eat chips and Netflix all day, eventually that's going to get old and it's not going to feel good. You're going to want to get up and move your body. You're going to want to eat some food that tastes that's a little different, that tastes different. So it's just like it's it's a misconception to think that that is what would happen if we accepted our body. If we accept our body and say, okay, it is what it is, now the question always becomes, what feels better to me? You know, and so what does that what does that mean? What's giving me more energy? What's helping me maybe feel more emotionally re- regulated? What's helping me feel more open, strong, you know, flexible in my body? These are all questions of just what is helping me live life where I can feel at the best that I could feel. Mm. And the answer to that is always given to us in every single moment because our days change, life brings us situations that change our routine, throws us curveballs. And so when we're present and we're in a state of connection to a deeper wisdom within us versus listening to dieting rules and exercise plans and shoulds and shouldn'ts that the mind has, we flow along with life and then we end up making choices that just help us feel good. And and what you said at first there reminded me a lot of what I talk about in intuitive eating. When I tell people to give them complete permission to eat all foods and they say to me, well, then I'm just going to eat, you know, cupcakes and French fries and hamburgers all day. And the truth is, maybe at first you will, because if you've been doing this pendulum for, for swing for a while where you restrict really hard, then yeah, like when you give yourself permission, you might find that you're just eating all of those restricted foods all at once, just like if you decide to um, start accepting your body, you might find you're giving yourself more permission to do some of those quote unquote off limit things like sitting around and watching Netflix and eating chips on the couch. But eventually with continued acceptance and permission, you'll find that happy, calm uh, place that you are really meant to be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll kind of truncate the question a little bit and say, just the last part of that question then are are there certain signs that indicate that you would benefit from coaching in body acceptance like what when people come to you like what was it what was the impetus for them like what do they say i it, it took this happening for me to realize this is what i needed mm-hmm. actually you know it's not uncommon for people to have found intuitive eating mm-hmm. have worked with a you know, intuitive eating dietitian, nutritionists mm-hmm. have made some progress with intuitive eating and feel like they kind of got to a good place with it, but their body has changed. Yeah. And now they're like, um, but I don't feel good in my body. And I have a lot of emotion coming up around that. I yeah. feel insecure or I feel like maybe, or I've started with this intuitive journey, eating journey, but I'm hitting a point now where I'm, you know, maybe I've gained some weight and I don't want to keep going because um, I'm way too uncomfortable in it. And I just, I just want to feel okay in my body. Like that's what I find is actually one of the, as I'm sure you, you've experienced too, is one of the biggest roadblocks to people letting go of dieting, of course, is the yeah. fear of gaining weight. And living in this culture in a body that isn't considered socially acceptable or is is just less than the ideal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of personally, my clients have histories of this happening in their families. So receiving a lot of messaging from their families about what their you know body should look like, praising smaller bodies, vilifying larger bodies, and feeling really deeply insecure. And to me, it always comes down to a worthiness, it like a feeling of not being worthy, of not being accepted, of not being loved. Like it, it just, those are the main three things that always comes down to. So it's really, I don't even know if necessarily people are conscious necessarily that that's what they're coming for or, or how it's all linked. It's more just like, they know that they struggle to feel okay in their body unless it looks or appears a certain way. 
and they want to feel better. Like they want to be able to break free from that. So that's when they would come to me. And, you know, I would, if I could sum up like my focus with my work is it's, it's, we're all looking at the, we're looking at the mind and the thinking and the emotions. That's the space we work in. Yeah. I just, what you said at the beginning there, I, you know, I am an intuitive eating coach. I don't have a lot of training in what you're talking about, body acceptance, body respect, which is why that eighth principle, I have been trying to do as much continuing education on that in that area. I come to your meditations. I respect so much what you say in your, in your, um, uh, your other, uh, or what are they called? The webinars that you give. I love them so much, plugging them right now. And because it's true, I think as an as a dietitian in this space, we don't get tra- we're trained on food, and and I can definitely relate to hunger and fullness cues and satisfaction and self care, but then it comes to self image, body image, body acceptance, and I kind of freeze. So I'm trying to get more comfortable in that space so I can help my clients, but I can definitely see uh, how someone could go through an intuitive eating journey and then just want that want that that last piece that maybe they talked about a little bit with their dietitian or intuitive eating coach, but just need a little bit more help in. I've actually talked to some intuitive eating coaches in the past who say they don't even talk about body, like body acceptance and body respect with their clients, which makes me, I don't understand how that's even possible because it comes up in almost every session I have with clients through intuitive eating. And to ignore it just seems like really unethical to me. Um, but yeah, I, I I can definitely understand how someone goes through an intuitive eating journey, gets some tidbits of information about body acceptance, body respect, but then wants that, wants that just final push and support and they would come to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really t- t- coming to me with all of the, you know, the insecurities that come up, the anxiety, the struggle, the sadness, like all of all of the emotions that, you know, we don't want to feel and we don't like and and all of the beliefs that we really think we're not good enough anymore. We're not okay. We can't we're we're yeah, it's it's a lot of it is like we're not good enough. So we dig into all that cheese stuff. <laughs> it's important. So my my first kind of talking about body respect now in terms of intuitive eating, my my first introduction to body respect and acceptance was, I would say, reading the intuitive eating book. Uh, when reading the part of the intuitive eating book on body respect, specifically principle eight, respect your body, there's just a lot of focus on comfort and self-care and self-compassion. But I I know it's not as easy as just, you know, throwing out old clothes and finding new ones or not body checking as much or stop comparing yourself to others. I know that's part of it, but that's, you know, just maybe the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more to it than that. So what does body acceptance and respect coaching look like when with when you do it Um, just beyond those basic steps or basic recommendations? And then just what kind of work do you do with your clients specifically? Yeah. Um, I really start to help them see, excuse me, and differentiate that we are not actually, we're getting kind of deep here, but it's like, we're not actually our mind. (laughs) We're not actually the thoughts that we have in our head. We are, we are the one who notices the thoughts and experiences the thoughts and feels the feelings, but that's not who we are. That our mind is kind of like thinking of it almost as like a separate, I don't want to say entity and make it sound scary. It's not scary, but it's like if you can imagine that it is kind of separate from us, it's like we have a computer in our brains and its main job is to help us physically survive which was really necessary way back when, when we were, you know, living off the land in the wild and in any given moment, something could happen where our, our life could be in imminent danger. That doesn't, we're lucky enough that most of us now who are living in this modern world don't experience that, you know, it's, it's really not that way, but yet our mind is operating in exactly the same way, but it just looks different now. So it's it's more like about judgments 
So it's it's the mind being really active with all of our should and shouldn'ts and haves tos and needs to and and who are you? Like who do you think you are? Judgments about yourself, ideas that you have about yourself. And we don't realize that when we're not our mind, but we're listening to it all the time and we think that we are, life is very stressful. Life is is very insecure. We have a lot of self-doubt um, or we struggle a lot because we also then think that we know a lot of things and then we become not open to other ideas. We don't become open to other people. So there's always some kind of push and pull or contention with other people. And so that also then happens with our bodies. So we can be at, against our bodies. We can be at war with our bodies. We think that our bodies are the problem because the mind is always looking for, um, it's always wants to, to know and it wants to be in control, even if it's wrong, because it thinks that if it, if it knows, even if it's wrong, it, it, it can keep you safe. Because if it says like, oh no, you know, this, this person, um, is going to judge you, like make sure you don't gain weight because they might judge you, then you'll feel safer. Even if that could be totally wrong, like maybe they won't judge you. So it's starting to really learn that we're not the mind and then what the heck is the mind and how does it operate? And then if we're not the mind, who are we and what do we listen to? And so that's why when you were talking about my webinars earlier, I really get into that educational piece in those webinars, the understanding your thinking and understanding your feelings and connecting to your inner wisdom are sort of the basis of really starting to have a completely different sense and understanding of who we are and what the mind is so we can be onto it. So that when we hear then the mind telling us these things, you're not good enough, you're not attractive enough, you're ugly, that person doesn't like you, you're unlovable, we can start to see that like, oh, those are thoughts coming from my mind. They're not coming from me. And I don't actually have to to listen to them or give them as much credence. And then those feelings that we have, because every thought comes with a feeling, what do we do with those feelings? Because what we've been taught to do is to, to suppress them, to uh, avoid them, to ignore them, to dismiss them, to get rid of them, to think our way out of them, except rather than what it is, which is feel them. <laughs> but feel them in a way of not getting caught in them, but feeling them so that they can actually move through us. And when we realize that the feelings are safe and it doesn't mean that we're in danger because that's what happens. What the mind tells us that these feelings are are dangerous. So it means something's wrong. So it's really starting to have a completely different understanding of what's going on with the mind and what's going on with the feelings so that we can relate to them. And then that's when the, the other piece comes in of connecting to your inner wisdom is understanding that we have a deeper intelligence and wisdom within us that that is available to us at every given moment that when we're not listening to the mind and we're not caught up in these feelings, we can hear much more clearly. And so that's like the foundation that I help people work with. And then what we do is we really start to work on those really sticky beliefs that come up, those thoughts that just feel so true and real about ourselves those really sticky feelings that feel too difficult to be able to experience. And I help and work, you know, work with people to guide them through moving through those experiences. And so that they also then have the ability and the tools to be able to do it for themselves in their life. But I'm here to like help with the the real sticky ones and give them that foundation. And that's, you know, partly what helps with that, you know, like you were talking about with the meditation group is that is like meditation, why it's so effective and why it's why it's valuable and why people are talking about it. Like, why do you feel calmer? Why do you feel more relaxed when you meditate? Because you're building the ability to be able to separate yourself from your mind. So you're coming more into this who we really are, which is not something that we can really name, but the sense, this essence of ourselves that is not the mind. And when we're coming from that place, that's where we deeply know and feel our worthiness, our okayness, our value, where we can trust ourselves and where we can access that deeper information. So 
I hope that explained it. Okay. <laughs> oh, it did. It did. In in many ways, I this is similar to what I do with my clients with intuitive eating, essentially just getting them to first just notice their thoughts and beliefs about food. Like that is the number one most important thing is to just first and foremost just notice the thoughts or notice the way you talk to yourself, your internal dialogue. So, but what you're saying, I I like. So I feel like a lot of us, we have these, uh, our mind is talking to us and you call it, I know, like the narrator. And oftentimes you say it wants the control. So we notice the mind is talking and then it might lead to a feeling of discomfort or fear or something. And then you wrote recently in Inst- on Instagram, you wrote, you're never really free of your thoughts when you use control to avoid them. So then we go to control our food and our body as a way to avoid those uncomfortable feelings. Yes, that's and, right. And, yeah. and you're helping people, and I hope I am too, in a way, to get more in touch with our true inner wisdom and to try not ignoring or pushing away, but just being aware of what the mind and brain is telling us and how that might actually be faulty and that we don't need to control those thoughts and feelings. That's right. Uh, with food or or dieting or um, loathing, self-loathing, I would say. I mean, I'm even to the point now where I say, you don't even need to listen to your mind at all mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. order to to live. Because when I talk about that, you know, deeper wisdom, that deeper intelligence that comes in that I often say you can really access as a portal through the heart, that is giving us moment to moment wisdom and guidance. Like we don't need to be listening to the chatter of the mind when we are open to listening to and trusting what comes through the heart through inner wisdom. And it's really interesting because I was just listening to a scientist talk about that, you know, there's, I mean, not recent, I don't know how recent it's been, but they have discovered that there's brain neurons in the heart and that the heart actually receives input and information first and processes it there first before it goes to the brain, which really just, I made that connection to, oh, yes, that's the inner wisdom. Of course, that's the deeper intelligence that we're talking about. It it really is like you can trust it coming from the heart. The heart is actually intelligent too. It's it's not, it, it's not just this completely separate organ from the brain. It's actually, it, it's smart. All right. So I know we don't have a whole lot more time. So I just have two more questions for you, Christina. You've got your meditation group, which we'll put <laughs> yes. Uh, a link to in the show notes for sure. Uh, Okay, let's talk about internalized fat bias. Uh, It can be defined as what happens when fat people buy into the message that because they're fat, they don't deserve the same opportunities or treatment as thin people. So fat bias is also present in those within privilege, uh, of course. And in both cases, it can be a significant driver for disordered eating, self-loathing, you name it, the control we were just talking about. So how does someone learn to accept their body when they've internalized these false beliefs that they aren't good enough or they still have, you know, some internalized fat phobia or just fat bias? Mm-hmm. That's a big question. So- yeah, it's but it, so it really comes down to starting to investigate and question these beliefs. Yeah. So these beliefs are unquestioned, right? They're just assumed to be true. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to believe them to be true when you look around and most people that you know you would agree with you and would would, would say yes, I I agree with that belief. I think that it's true too and you see it reflected in the culture. It's really difficult to all of a sudden feel like you're the one person who's like, could I question it? Could it not be true? And who am I to do it if I'm in a larger body mm-hmm. to question it? Like, am I just kidding myself? Am I, you know, try, am I, am I being, I don't know what the word would be, but, um, you know, when, I don't know, let's say kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's difficult to to do that but there's one thing that 
I really know to be true from my own personal experience with questioning beliefs that the mind says is there's a real clear indicator as to if we're believing something that's not deeply true for ourselves and that's it feels bad. So if we have a belief about ourselves that makes us feel bad, it's not actually true for us. And how we can know that is the case is because if you had a moment where you said, okay, so say for example, the belief is like my body's ugly and, you know, most people would agree with you. Let's just say that. And you believe that and you believe that that means that you're, because really that belief has some some sub-beliefs to it, which would be, and that means that I'm unworthy of love, I'm not good enough, I'm somehow defective, like whatever it may be. There's some beliefs under there that are upholding that one. Those beliefs can't be true because they make you feel bad. And how you know it is because if you were to now just take a moment and, and imagine that you're in the same body, but those beliefs weren't present, like they never came into your mind, how would you feel about your body if you never had those thoughts? You're going to feel okay. You're going to feel okay. You can't not. And I would say, try it. Like, imagine that those thoughts were not present because the only thing that would make you not feel okay about your body is the presence of those thoughts and believing them. Because mm-hmm. you don't believe them anymore, the experience of your entire body and self changes. Right. And what are you left with? You're left with this feeling of okayness. You might even feel this presence of love and acceptance because that is our nature. That is our nature. That is who we are when we are born into this world. We are totally okay with our bodies. We're totally okay with ourselves until some belief or thought comes in that says you're not good enough and we believe it. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we believe it is when it now becomes our reality. So it's help. I would, I would say it's about helping people see again, when you, when you know that you're not your mind, because that's where those beliefs live, they're programmed, they're conditioned, they're believed in that space. When you know that you're not that, and then you have the ability to start to question it and then have the experience of what it's like without those thoughts you can start to tap in more to the truth. And then it becomes about seeing where all of these beliefs were innocently believed, but are not true. And just because other people believe them doesn't make them true either. And they can check it in with themselves because even those people who would believe it too, do not then feel good about themselves either because they're suffering with the belief too. If it's a belief that makes you feel bad, it doesn't matter if other people believe it too. They're not free of it, that nobody's free when they're believing these beliefs. Nobody's, nobody gets to be happy when you believe this belief, because even if you're in a thin body and you still believe that, you know, fat is bad and ugly, you're now going to set yourself up for feeling terrified if you ever gain weight yourself. So you're not free either. Yeah. So it's the beliefs, the beliefs that we buy into that make us feel bad is an indication that there is some untruth in there on some level. And that's that's where we start to explore and investigate it. Mm, Yes, this makes so much sense. And it's very similar to how I work with people about their belief, challenging their beliefs and thoughts about food and just being more aware of when those beliefs and thoughts come in and what to do with them, not letting them get hooked. But yeah, I see what you're saying, challenging those beliefs, questioning those beliefs and thoughts and identifying them as just thoughts, just feelings um, from my mind, not true. And then letting that inner wisdom come in and and take over. And then whether or not other people have the same beliefs, like that's, that's their problem. Like right now, 
You've questioned the beliefs. You've questioned the thoughts. So you feel better and you're in a good place. You have a sense of calm and love towards yourself. Yeah. And that's the only place that it can exist is within. So because you've also had the experience of like where somebody has thought really well of you. You know, have you ever had it where somebody's like, oh, you're so beautiful, but you're in a space where you don't believe it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how many times that person's going to tell you you're beautiful. If you still have this belief that you're not, that's your experience. Yeah. And so vice versa. If you really do are connect, if you really see the the untruth of the belief that you're not lovable, and then you've had the experience of feeling that you are, it doesn't matter at that point then what other people think because you know it not to be true. And you can say, that's okay. They're just believing what they're believing. And when somebody believes something, it means they have to believe it about themselves too. So again, like mm-hmm. it's not even really about the other person at that point. Yeah. It's also something that's within them. So the it really, the focus is always on the inner yourself. That's okay. where your experience is. I love that. And and I know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make this a question. I think that this quote that you wrote on Instagram really wraps up this whole conversation really well. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. You wrote, the fear of being judged by others runs deep. People were burned at the stake for thinking, looking, or acting differently. So when you worry about others judging you for gaining weight or having wrinkles, your survival system is literally being triggered, but you're okay. Yeah. And that just sums it all up right there. I, I, I absolutely love that. And I love all of the things that you post on Instagram. I'm, I'm going to put another plug out there. Like I, I like to frequently repost them on my own Instagram and just kind of steal them, but give you credit because they just, I don't know where you come up with these things, but they just always get me thinking. I'm constantly copying them and like pasting them into my own notes and reading them to clients. I just think that they're, you're just so good at that, Christina. You've got a gift. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Like I, I, I say it's, I say it's inner wisdom, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Your inner wisdom is flowing. It's flowing just, well. <laughs> we all have it. You know, we all tap into whatever it is that our, you know, strength is the thing that just excites us or lights us up. And when we're present with the inner wisdom and we're not listening as much to the mind, it's like that can flow. And then everyone's genius and gift gets to surface yes you know we're all here to like bring our talents and it's we're all so needed and the more that we can start to see that we're not that thinking mind and that we don't have to believe all of these beliefs that it's telling us it frees us up to just be our authentic selves and i think that's when we all, you know, can thrive. Yes. All right. So great. I'm so glad you, I was able to interview you today and talk with you. This has been just wonderful as always. So where can listeners find you? uh, And yeah, what links can I put in the show notes for listeners to keep learning from you? So obviously you can go to my website. It's Mm -hmm. christinabruce.com, Christina with a K. And I'm most active, I would say, on Instagram. So Christina Bruce Coach. Also have Facebook, YouTube. Those are the main places. Right. Great. Anything else you want to say to close us up? I don't think so. Okay. That's totally fine too. It was just great talking with you. And thanks so much for having this conversation and for doing the work that you're doing um, in your area. It's really important and needed. Thanks, Christina. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Christina Bruce. Like I said, she was also on the Dietitian's Dish podcast back when I had that podcast. And I'll try to include those links in the show notes as well if you want to hear some more from her. Uh, So yeah, I just really, really enjoy speaking with Christina and also follow her on Instagram. She posts the most amazing quotes that which I seem to always be reposting because I just think that they're so great uh, and insightful. 
All right. So favorite new product or recipe for today, my banana bread muffins. They're not mine, but they are a, a recipe that I made recently. The kids loved them. I love them. Again, banana bread muffins. And I actually just jazzed them up a little bit by putting chocolate chips in them just so they were, you know, a little bit more satisfying. So I put that link in the show notes and that's really it for today. So coming up on October 23rd, I will be talking about sugar and kids with Kids Eaten Color owner Jennifer Anderson. Until then, treat yourself with the respect you deserve. Be the best friend you've always wanted and reach out to me at any time on Instagram at Nutrition Unmeasured or via email at TrustYourBodyRD.com.